Good evening, everyone. Just a quick administrative thing, while I've maintained a weekly Monday release schedule for a long time now, my weekly schedule has shifted quite a while in the last few years, and so I'm planning to switch to releasing episodes on Wednesdays instead, starting with this one. Hopefully this doesn't bug anyone too much, but I keep finding myself getting delayed to Tuesday or Wednesday anyway, and so this feels like the right move. But anyway, this week we talk about the life of William K. Livingston, who is to set up some very important new ways of thinking about pain. But before we talk about him, I have to admit that we have kind of skipped over a lot of history about pain research, mostly because I felt it was hard to weave into the narrative, and so here we are. But let me at least kind of fix that real quick. So throughout history, ideas about how pain have worked were intertwined with philosophy, religion, the mind, and biology and varied wildly across time and space. I think this makes a lot of sense considering how important pain is in our lives. Nothing quite motivates like pain to the point where certain painful experiences can provoke near-instantaneous automatic responses. For example, though, in ancient times, pain was often a supernatural phenomenon associated with deities and spirits. In the Western world during the Renaissance, pain was generally considered inevitable and actually a sign of life. It was not until the industrial era in the 1800s that pain really began to be seen as something that could and should be minimized, and even then this view was not universal. Two viewpoints were pretty common by this time period. One was that pain was a product of the mind in response to stimuli, and especially in religious circles, that pain afflicted the soul. Among some scientists, though, especially one Johann Muller and Maximilian von Frey, pain was another sense, like vision or touch or smell. These two viewpoints were of course in conflict, although as we will see, they did not have to be, which brings us to William K. Livingston. Livingston was born back in 1892, and unfortunately I cannot really find anything about his childhood. I will just hope that it was lovely and nice, and that a man who spent his life writing about pain was doing so for reasons besides personal relevance. I do know that he was educated at Harvard, so for sure he was a smart cookie, even early on. But then he did return to the West Coast in 1922 to begin work as a neurosurgeon in Portland, Oregon. As you may recall from last week, being a neurosurgeon in the early 1900s meant you would likely be working with pain patients and using your surgery skills to treat severe chronic pain, which may be one way that Livingston became interested in the subject. Like many other people, the Second World War had a huge effect on his life, although for Livingston it was actually fairly good in many ways. He enlisted and served in the Navy as a surgeon, concentrating particularly on peripheral nerve injuries, so clearly by this point in his life he was interested in pain. During the war he became head of the Oakland Naval Hospital's Division of Peripheral Nerve Injuries, making this interest a part of his job title. And during the war he actually wrote and released his first book about pain, which was simply titled Pain Mechanisms in 1943. At this point, Livingston was clearly on the pain train. In 1947, he accepted a position at the University of Oregon Medical School as the chairman of the Department of Surgery, but only on the condition that he could start what he called a pain project, which sounds much more diabolical to me than it actually was. He demanded to be given a team of investigators to research the physiology and psychology of pain. One of the first folks that Livingston hired as part of this new pain project was a man named Ron Melzack, who we will definitely be talking more about. 
his team eventually came to the conclusion that, quote, nothing can be properly called pain unless it is consciously perceived as such. And as such, they considered pain a perception, not just a sensory event as previous scientists had believed. This may not sound all that revolutionary to modern ears, but as we mentioned before, a lot of ideas about how pain worked proposed that pain was either just a sensory experience like touch, or that pain was mostly a psychological phenomenon. Livingston and his crew rightfully felt that both were pretty applicable. Their research showed, for example, that, quote, Pain cannot always be measured in terms of stimulus intensity. Because we now know that the brain has the power to suppress the sensory signal before it can ascend to the brain. If you think about pain in your everyday experience, this actually makes a lot of sense. How you're feeling in the moment and what you expect often make a huge difference in how you perceive your pain. I know, at least for myself, that when I am sitting at home not expecting any injuries, a tiny, teeny paper cut feels pretty terrible, despite it being, honestly, incredibly minor. On the other hand, I've gotten scrapes, bruises, and cuts while playing sports, but didn't really notice them, compared to that earlier paper cut. I'm sure you can think of examples in your own life where, regardless of the painful stimuli's intensity, your mental state changed how you felt about it. Livingston's team came to this conclusion after carefully observing and talking to many patients about their experiences with pain, as well as just studying the nervous system. Livingston himself was convinced that the experience of pain varied not only between individuals and between situations, but even between different races, and decades of research in the years after his life have confirmed this to be the case. I found journal articles from as recent as 2012 exploring and characterizing these differences about a half century after his team was active, and that was with just a quick internet search. While I think Livingston's greatest contribution was this new way of thinking about pain, they did also learn plenty of other stuff. His team found that while pain signals were generally carried up from the extremities of the body, back through the spine, and then up to the brain, this was not actually the only way pain could reach the brain. This helps to explain why some procedures we talked about last week didn't work. Even if the relevant spinal nerves were severed or damaged, there might still be other paths for the pain to get up to your brain. Livingston's work also looked at what specific parts of the brain were responsible for pain perception, and discovered a couple things that other folks had not. Finally, Livingston made one more contribution that we'll talk about today. He mentored Ron Melzack and Patrick Wall. These two were responsible for the gate control theory of pain, which is still being researched and debated to this very day, and is what we will talk about next week. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to contact me for whatever reason, try the links in the show notes. Also, thanks to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for this music. Music